Well, good morning, Northampton Elam Church. I'm so delighted to share this message with you today. It's part of a series that I've been doing on the book of Nehemiah. It's a significant moment in the history of Nehemiah's journey in that he mentions some strong agreements of when people come back and rebuild their society. I do hope you enjoy it. Pastor Jason has asked me to share it. And Pastor Linda, we just want to bless you and thank you for all that you do for the church. Have a great Sunday and God bless you. It's great to be with you this morning. We are coming to a really important part of the book of Nehemiah. In chapter 10, we're going to mainly preach from chapter 10. I want you to open that in your Bible. It's on the YouVersion app as well. This is the moment when Nehemiah says, I need to tell you some things to reestablish this nation. And he talks about the power of your agreements. Now, I'm just going to jump into chapter 9. In verse 38 of uh, chapter 9, it says this, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement putting it into writing, and our leaders and our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. This was the moment when they were coming back together that they had to agree on some things. And you will know that 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Be careful who you're in agreement with, these binding agreements. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Well, what fellowship can harm there their, their be with light and darkness? Or what harmony between Christ and the sons of foolishness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and the temple of idols. As for God has said, I will live amongst them and walk amongst them. And today, I want to talk to you about what you agree with, what you've brought your life into alignment with. Those of you who know me know that I'm a bit of an Apple uh, dude. I like all the Apple computer things, and uh, I'm in, into that brand. But the other week, it let me down. It let me down so bad, it was either it let me down or, or I didn't know how to work it and I'd done some things, I was broadcasting out, it all went wrong and I came to my staff that day uh, to the team, beautiful team that worked with me and said, I'm going Android and all the Samsung people out there, you'll be all rejoicing, you know, he's finally come over and seen the light and uh, I quickly got over it, but you too have got brands and things that you just believe in. Some of you would never drive. Uh, by the way, anything I say about any brand, please, uh, there, are, there are other brands available. Some of you would not drive a Vauxhall car. Some of you drive a Peugeot. What's that about? Uh, some of you would never drive a BMW. You love Mercedes. And that really, some of these choices are not particularly based on anything apart from harmless preference or what you think is cool. Can I, I won't make a prophecy, but can I make a prediction that all the men who are watching now at some point are going to consider buying a cardigan from Marks and Spencer's? 
I know you don't think it right now, but you will at some point. I'm even having heckling in the room even now. We all have alignments and agreements that we have. And most of them are just an expression of our preference. But here, Nehemiah, and actually in your life, there are some important agreements and alignments in our lives that are keys to our spiritual health. Your agreement and who you align yourself in is one of the most important things that you will do. It opens a key and a door into your life. If you don't settle what your important alignments are and what you agree with, it's like a, well, I don't know whether you've known a spiritual jack-in-a-box where something will spring up all of a sudden because you haven't made the right agreement. Let me, let me just take you over to just on a little excursion to Joshua chapter 11, verse 22. It says that in that passage that, that they, uh, when they were taking over the land, they cleared out all the Anakites. And the Anakites, sorry, were the giant people, the very tall people. And uh, it says they cleared the Anakites from everywhere except they left three places open, Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. And what we learned later on is that Goliath came from Gath and was a problem to Israel and had to be defeated. We learned that later on that when the ark was taken, where was it taken to? It was taken to Ashdod. And that's where uh, the Dagon temple was. And it became a, a sore to Israel. And we know that Gaza was a stronghold for uh, the Philistines for many, many years. In fact, in Judges chapter 16, that's where Samson was killed. You see, what you don't deal with, here's the principle. If you don't settle some things now... They will keep springing back up in your life. If you don't have some strong alignments where you say, no, this is what I am holding to, some things will come back to you. That's what happened in Israel. Now, this is a key stage in this book. They're coming back. They've built the wall. The society is now being assembled. And for this rebuilding stage, Nehemiah had some key alignments and agreements that he wanted them to agree with. These are key agreements. They are vital for our spiritual maturity. Now, we often quote the, the scripture from Timothy that says, all scripture is God-breathed. And, and actually, in our minds sometimes, we say, oh, well, the New Testament is more God-breathed than the Old Testament. When Timothy, Paul wrote those words to Timothy, he was actually talking about the Old Testament. And there's only one or two parts of the ceremonial law that do not apply today according to Hebrews chapter 8, that that part is gone to be obsolete. But it is still uh, true today that you shall not murder. It is still true today that you shall not commit adultery. It is still true today that you should not covet your neighbor's wife. So when, when we're talking about some of these key alignments 
Just because they're written in the Old Testament doesn't make any difference whatsoever. It's in God's Word, and it's things that are important for us. Well, I want you to catch the moment. They were coming back together. They were rebuilding. And Nehemiah says, what can I tell them so that if they get this right, it won't go wrong again? First of all, it's a repeated thing through this book. First agreement that they had to be, that agree that they would now align themselves to the teaching of the Word of God that in a lived out way. Go to Nehemiah chapter 10 with me and look at verse 29. It says this, all of these things now join their fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves even with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands and regulations and decrees of the Lord. I would go as far as to say that their neglect of the Word of God was the root issue to their whole demise as a nation, and it's going to be the the coming back to agree with the Word of God is going to be their pathway to success. We we tend to argue superficial things, don't we, as far as uh, uh, the Bible is concerned, or which is the best translation, you know. Uh, Do you ever read the Message Bible? You know, in the Message Bible, it, it probably says it like this, Mama, I'm hungry. In the Amplified Bible, it says, Mummy, I'm hungry, famished, starving, uh, needing food. In the NIV, it says, Mother, I'm hungry. In in the King James Bible, it says, Henceforth, let it be known unto thee, birth giver, that my belly consists of emptiness. You know, we, we tend to argue over translations I don't care which translation you use, so long as you use it and live it. If you can understand it and you can live it out, that's the fact. It's your commitment not just to read it, but to make a life decision to act on it that week. I'm going to come back to that at the end of my message today. You know, I've just joined a Bible reading group. Uh, Well, it it kind of came about in a strange way. uh, I'm part of a group that uh, has the Fantasy Football League, and I've got my team, Ryan's Rovers. I'm 13th in the Elam Leaders League right now. And and then somebody put on there, hey, does anybody want to read the Bible together? And 20 of us, we actually have an online Bible reading group through YouVersion, and I'm loving it. I'm loving some of the comments people are making, and uh, I'm enjoying following the plan. I wonder if you could make a fresh commitment to say, come on, I need this word in my life. You see, they just didn't have the habit of reading the law, but they were separated out to live it out. Look at Nehemiah chapter 10. Come on, follow with me in the chapter. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 28 says this, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the temple servants, all separated themselves out from neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God. They so wanted to live it that they said, look, I've got to create some space around my life. You see, 
This word alignment in the first instance is more than just a habit of reading. It's replacing those invisible, those historic lies in your mind and replacing them with truth. The lie that says, I'm a victim and nothing good can happen to me. The truth, Romans 8, 31, what then can separate me from the love of God? For in all these things, I am a more than conqueror. You replace the lie that you're a victim and God tells us, I'm not a victim, I am a victor in Christ. You see, the Word of God and the Bible isn't just so that we can know stuff, it's to replace lies that dominate us and move our lives in the wrong way. Nehemiah asked them to make a second agreement and the agreement was a vital agreement around relationships. In Nehemiah 10 verse 30, it's primarily about marriage, but it plays out about all of our relationships. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us, and they and take their daughters for our sons. Now, obviously, it's talking about taking care in marriage. Who you marry is so important. Uh, just because somebody's a Christian doesn't mean, say, they're going to be a great husband. Uh, that's something that you learned. You know, it's funny what we say in church, isn't it? Why don't you marry that person there in the choir? You know, like, as if, okay, they can sing. That makes them a good husband. Okay, or why don't you, why don't you marry her because she serves in the cafe? Okay, that doesn't necessarily play out. Or why don't you marry him because he serves in the cafe? And men, we want more people serving in the cafe of men uh, when we come back together over the summer. But you know what, what I'm saying is, is that this, is that marriage is actually about your shared purpose, your values, your direction. It's about truly cherishing each other's heart. And I want to say to everybody out there, whether you're looking for somebody or looking for love, don't settle for anything less than somebody who cherishes your heart. But even though Nehemiah is talking about relationships here, it's also true of other relationships that we don't actually buy into the values of some of the people around us. Sure, let me make it clear, you are to be friendly, you are to love people, you, you can be with them, but don't buy into what they are selling. Because some people in your life is spoiling the direction of your life. First alignment, agree with the Word of God. Start making that truth work for you. Second alignment, Nehemiah said, it's really important who you're in relationship with. And I'm not just talking about separating ourselves off and making everybody out there uh, an ogre or a bad guy, but actually saying, no, I can love you, I can be friendly to you, but I am not joining my heart with what you believe. It's really important. But then the third alignment that, that Nehemiah said to this nation was they had to settle in their hearts, and something we have to do, that, that we have to settle in our lives that 
a stewardship of all of our resources uh, includes the healthy mindset about providing for the upkeep of the church and its ministry. That's what Nehemiah uh, taught them. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 34. It says this. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of God at set times each year. Now, I want you to notice this. A contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord. You've got to bring some wood. That's all I'm asking you to bring. And as it's written in the law. Look... Now, I know some people maybe watching who are not churchgoers, but let me talk to you as BCC, as a spiritual and online family. We have got to move past the immature view that our church needs to operate on the bare minimum and just get by. We've got to move past that. This is what Nehemiah is trying to establish. He's trying to establish, look, I want you to make sure that important ministry happens. Now, I hope you get involved in Red Nose Day. Red Nose Day is a great thing. I I really appreciate the fact that our our nation does something like that. But let let me, I want to just say something about the whole idea of giving through sponsorship. Sponsorship says, I do something amazing, and you, because I've done that amazing thing, you give to me because of that. That's a great thing. I'm not knocking that. Stewardship says, you don't have to do anything. I just give. Stewardship says, I just believe that that need is important so it doesn't matter whether you walk 10 miles, 5 miles, and you do whatever. And the, all those things are good. Don't hear anything negative about that. But stewardship says, I just give. We've got to move from this, this cultural idea of giving, from sponsorship. If the church does well, I will give to it. We've got to move from that idea to stewardship that says, this is what I believe is valuable. Whilst it's also true that the church should not overspend or waste money, uh, we need to ensure, however, that it's supplied, the church is supplied generously for its ministry. Now, look at what they had to bring. They had to bring some wood to burn on where? The altar. What was the altar? It was the most important part of the temple. It was the place where precious sacrifices were made. Just, I want you to imagine something with me. There's a family, and, and they, they, it's their turn to bring wood to the altar, and they haven't got any wood, so they have to go out and cut some wood. Or they, uh, maybe they've got their wood for their fire, and they say, well, we haven't got enough. We've got to go and buy some. We've got to go and get some. It's our turn to go to the temple. And so they make the effort, and they go as a family, and they go to the temple. And the wood that's taken from them It's not just put in a corner and say, oh yeah, we'll use it for maybe the priests or this, that and the other. No, the wood is taken into the Holy of Holies. And it's burnt in the most sacred place that God has. Their ordinary offering 
is enabling the most spiritual service. And then as they're at the temple that day, somebody else comes along and they're crying, they're broken, and they're hurting because they have sinned. And they take their offering and they come out of the temple and they say, oh, I'm so glad that that altar was working because now I am free. And dad looks over to his children who've just brought the wood and says, see what your offering did? You set that person free because you took the time to bring your wood I want you to hear something today. Your generosity and your stewardship enables all types of ministries. Ministries to set people free, fellowship offerings to connect people to God, love offerings to help people to express themselves. Your ministry gifts helps all types of ministries. I wonder if you could align yourself and say, you know what, I believe in my spiritual family. I'm going to regularly give to it because then Nehemiah asks you to move on a step and to make a fourth alignment. In chapter 10, he says, I want you to align yourself to the first fruits principle and to first fruits thinking. Of all the things Nehemiah did to reestablish that faith community was he reestablished tithing. Tithing is giving 10% of your income into the local church. He reestablished tithing into that society and into that very important moment. Catch this moment. He's catching the moment where they're rebuilding, and he says it this way. In verse 35 of chapter 10, look at it with me. Look closely with me. See if I'm speaking the word of God today. We assume also the responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year first fruit of our crops and every fruit tree. This caused a blessing over their families. It caused a protection over their finances. It, was, it caused a, a foundation underneath their foundation. Israel was to become a, a tremendous economic trading nation, and it gave them the right mindset. Here's the mindset. Not everything I have is mine anyway. And not everything is mine, so if it's not mine, I have to make sure that I'm returning that which is the Lord's. You see, when you have a mindset that everything isn't quite yours, in fact, everything belongs to the Lord, but when you have a part that you say, I have to return that, it's like you're holding a trust. It's like you're believing something that you have to believe God even for that other bit that you're returning back to God. It gave them this right mindset. You see, tithing shapes our values so that we can face the shock of our nation. This, this next few months, we'll hear a lot about economics. I wonder if you can do biblical economics and begin to say to yourself, I am going to go the way that the Lord says in faith, and I would say that as we do that, the economic shock that might be coming will not hinder your life. 
Have a look with me just for a few moments in verse 36 and verse 37 of Nehemiah chapter 10. I just want to take a moment just to quickly read this. It says, as it's written in the Lord, we bring the Lord, the first fruit, firstborn of our sons, all of our cattle, the first of our herds, the first of our flocks uh, to the priests ministering there. And also we will bring to the storerooms of the house of God the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of our fruit, of all of our trees, of our new wine and our oil. We will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. It's the Levites, the local Levites who collect it uh, in the towns where they work. Now, you see, this removes what can I get away with. Because actually what Nehemiah said was, look, I want you to bring the first of your sons. Let your family be someone who says, we serve God first. I want to bring them so that they, not, not to be sacrificed, nothing like that. It was to bring their sons to say, well, my firstborn son, if they want to be a priest, if they can be a priest, they are a priest. They can be a part of that. And, uh, so, and then it says, I bring every part of your fruit trees. That's your productivity. Don't miss that out. Don't bring, you know, something that you produce, something that has a harvest, bring that. And then he says, bring your firstborn of all your cattle. That's the first part of your wealth. That represented the wealth to them in that day. And then he said, bring the first part of your ground meal. That's, that's the daily sustenance, your daily bread. Bring your ordinary income. And then it says, bring the first part of your wine and your oil. That's your luxuries. That's what you have even over and above. The wine and oil, that's what it represented. You see, it's pretty hard to start at first. If you go from zero to jumping to 10%, it's quite hard. I, I understand that. But it's a bit like my running or if you're revising for an exam. When, once you, once you st first, it's hard to start. But once you get into it, you move into something where it becomes from a discipline to a delight. When I started running, you know, sometimes you, you start on the first K and you think, oh, I'll never finish. But actually... Instead of somebody who goes running now, I am actually a runner. And I guess the next pro progression is to be an athlete. Uh, I'm not quite there at the athlete stakes. But it's somebody who occasionally makes bread, can become a baker, and then teach others how to uh, bake their loaves. Of course, uh, Paula's just blown her oven up, so you probably wouldn't want to go there. But what I'm saying to you is this. If you're just an occasional giver... Why don't you move to be a tither and then you can move to absolute generosity? You see, that's the way it works. You go from running now and again to running, being a runner, to being an athlete, being an occasional giver to a tither. Well, you do it regularly and then it grows into generosity. Tithing's not magic. You have to fix that with budgeting if you budget your money and tithe, eventually you'll come into a real freedom space. Bringing tithes to the Levites meant that they could be protected and they could minister freely, but also it wasn't just about supporting the Levites. It's so that the musicians and the gatekeepers and the temple and also nationally that they could be in the right place with God. 
your alignments and your agreements are vital. They are absolutely vital. If you settle these issues now, your direction of your life will not be skewed in the future. It's when people are always fighting about whether they want to trust the Word of God or believe that relationships are important or put their finances under God's protection. If you are always fighting in that, you plant a seed that grows, that comes back like a jack-in-a-box to hurt you later on. You need to settle this discipleship issue. That, that actually, I want to say that when we come back together, I'd love to see it. Lots of people using the YouVersion app or making notes, taking notes on the sermon. And also, when you read your Bible this week, I wonder if you could decide one action I'm going to do this week because I read something this week. I wonder if there's a relationship in your life that you need to say, you know what, I'm not buying into that. Those people are bad for me. They hurt me. They make my life smaller. I wonder if you could put that in order. You see, relationships, good relationships, they share your values, they share your direction, they share your purpose. I wonder if you could bring the stewardship part of your life back into order where ministry support is just not an issue to you any longer, that you've, you've settled the question whether the church is worthwhile to give to. But you've settled that question. Actually, you're moving on to first fruits giving, where you say, you know what, God? You have given me so much, or whatever you've given me, I'm returning to you that first 10%. I want to say to you, you've been brilliant with us, uh, as far as your giving and your, your generosity. But I'm just wondering if there's some people out there that you've never, ever started tithing. And, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to ask Pastor Nick if he'll send the giving link around again. And that if you want to email in and chat to us about that and say, could you help me move to this? We will pastor you because, actually, I don't want anything from you. I want something for your life that you bring that towards God's favor. When you settle these issues, you can move to deeper maturity. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back, if you will. When you settle this issue and these issues, it's maturity that comes to your life. And you know what I think the national need is right now? Actually, our nation needs maturity. It needs people who are living whole, balanced lives where everything that's supposed to be working is working. And that's what I'd say to you. So let me close with this scripture from Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us move on beyond the elementary teachings of Christ and, not to be, and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again our foundations, not, not always thinking, well, what do I agree with? What should I agree with? Now, the foundations of repentance or acts that lead from death to, uh, and of faith in God. 
instructions about cleansing rites. Let's, let's move on from all of those things, laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. Let, let's settle these things in our minds. And the Bible says, and God permitting, we will do so. Let's sing to him. But as we sing today, I wonder if you could just hold your hands out with me for a, a little bit and just in your living room or wherever you're watching or if you're watching on replay, that you could begin to say, you know what, I'm going to settle some things before church comes back together in this hybrid way. I'm going to settle the fact that I need to pay more attention to the scriptures. I need to live it out. I'm going to settle the fact that I want good relationships in my life. And I'm not going to go begging for affection in the wrong places. I'm going to settle to the fact that I'm not going to live in a sponsorship mode of giving, but actually I'm going to believe in stewardship, that I believe in the ministry of the church. God will take your offering and put it right on the altar where the real stuff happens. I'm going to settle the fact the first fruits giving, that firstly, the first part of my income is yours, Lord. And I give that into the church so that ministry can happen. I'm just going to settle some things today and move to maturity.